Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. I put it in my pocket backwards, sorry. Rookie era, hey, let's try that again, okay? Good morning, everybody. Yes, all right, a couple things. Um, it really is good to see everybody here. We're gonna have to add some chairs. Next week, next week and through September, um, if you're here for two hours, if you volunteer, let me encourage you to park, not at our Methodist Friends Church, because they don't like that, they're chavin', but the Sigma New Lot around here. And you can walk over, if it's raining, bring an umbrella, it's really helpful. A choke point for this location is parking. So let me encourage those that are here to come early to park over there. I will park over there so we can walk afterwards and talk about it. Second of all, um, next Sunday is LSU Sunday, so we'll, we'll in earnest celebrate our students. But if you're a new student, this is, just, you know, you're here in the room, would you just raise your hand? New or old students, students raise your hands. There we go. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. Um, we are, we exist uh, in a large part to be a part of um, the ministry to the campus. If you're brand new, I met an incoming freshman with his parents at the nine o'clock hour, and he was just like, just go on, just, <laughs> I'm ready to be on my own. I, you could see it. And I looked at him and I said, listen, you got one week between next Sunday and uh, this Sunday and next Sunday, and you can get lost out there faster than you can say, I don't know which way to go. And I said, just, just be careful. So we w I wanna say the same thing to you. It maybe sounds a little paternal, but I've had a lot of falls here. Uh, I'm starting my 21st uh, as lead pastor or whatever, a lot. And so just be on the lookout. We wanna see you back here. We definitely wanna see you at Refuge, as, as Dave said, um, 6.30 and 8.15. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be great. So I want to say welcome to the students and come back. Uh, quick show of hands: How many people regularly use the GPS feature, the you know Google Maps, Waze, Apple Maps on your phone? There you go. Almost everybody. It's pretty common fare now. We trust it. Um, those of us who remember the digital maps, you know, some of us remember paper maps. My wife had one this summer. And people were laughing at her. She goes, well, I want to see the whole state of Kentucky, not the next block. So kudos to you, Mary. Yeah, <clears throat> never led me astray. Uh, but for those of us who remember the migration of digital maps, you know, are they up to date would be an issue. Actually, we, we were in a car that had maps that weren't up to date. I know when we all quit using an app or device, when it leads us astray, we go, I'm done with it, right? How many people have been, uh, have followed a map to the wrong place? It didn't know where you were going. Yeah, and you're like, I'm done with that. I'm not using that app. I used to think when it all first came out, Apple Maps was inferior to Google Maps. And now I've moved from Google Maps and they bought Waze to Waze. I check Waze before I get my mail right, just to make sure there's no traffic. You know, just like, how bad is the drive uh, to the end of the road there? And so this is the thing, we drop the service when it doesn't take us where we know we're trying to get. We don't use it. It didn't lead us to the right place. 
The other thing it doesn't know is if I need a gas station in, in the next five miles. It doesn't know that. When it comes to being a follower of the Lord, we need to be honest and say to ourselves, we really don't know final destinations. We don't know the next turn around the bend. We don't know the next chapter of our life, but he does. So we need to trust him to lead us to and through the next chapter. Not only does he know the next chapters, but he knows what we need along the journey, which oftentimes we don't know. And he wants to meet those needs. So for just those reasons, following the Lord is advantageous. It's a, it's a plus. Now, Psalm 23 is probably the best-known psalm, maybe one of the best-known passages in the Bible, even for people who don't read the Bible. They know the psalm. It's read often at funerals because of the way it ends. I want to I, I have the hope of spending forever with God. And so we read it. And lots of people have heard its words and we know about it, but it suggests something that goes against the way uh, we're wired as people and um, in even our culture. And that is there's a shepherd leading sheep. So there's somebody leading us. And that is contrary to kind of how the world seems to operate. I don't need you to lead me. I don't need you to, to direct me. I'm good. I'm going to bring my car, go my way. You drive your car. I want my independence. And am I making sense? Is that, is that just me or is it us? It's us? Okay, well, all right. And that, that, that will be the question. Can we follow? Now, if we're extremely lost, we're looking for any help possible, right? But what about the day-to-day -day routines of when you know the next turn. We think we know, but really we don't. So I want to pray for us today. I want to pray for those of you who brought needs into the room. They're heavy on your heart, and you're not sure how they're going to be met. I want to pray for those of you who came in with fear, that there's a fear in your heart and in your mind, and, and you'd really like it to not create the anxiety and the worry that it's causing maybe even a darkness that you're in. I want to pray for those of you who feel all alone, that God's presence would be felt in this room as we're together, as we're singing, as we're praying, as we are a community of faith. I want to pray that God would be uniquely present here as the great shepherd, the good shepherd, as your shepherd. So pray with me. Lord, we, we ask you to meet us here today. I do pray for those who have needs and they don't know how they're going to be met. Would, they, would you meet those needs? Would they leave here today more confident in you and your not only ability, but your desire? Lord, I pray for those who are anxious and fearful today. Would you calm their anxious heart with your peace and would you drive out the fear with your love? Lord, I pray for those who are very unsure of the future, may they be more sure because they've been here before you and in your presence. Lord, I pray for those who feel all alone, that you would make your goodness and mercy known to them through your word, through the company that's here, through the congregation that gathers. Would you do this for, for our good and your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Psalm 23 is subtitled, A Psalm of David. David was a shepherd boy. When Samuel was sent to find the next king of Israel, he went to Jesse's house. David is the son of Jesse. And Jesse brought all of his all of his sons before Samuel, except David. David was the youngest. He was out taking care of the sheep. And when God made it clear that none of these people were going to be the next king, he just said, hey, do you have any more, do you have any more boys? Oh, yeah, David, but he's out taking care of the sheep. Let's bring him in. Let's, let's, let's look at him. David would become king of Israel. He would become the shepherd of Israel. So David knew what it meant to be an actual shepherd and then an actual ruler over people, a shepherd, if you will, over people. And so that meant he really understood sheep. Anybody here um, deal with sheep regularly? Regularly? You can, it's just maybe, there's not a lot of us, so don't be afraid if you hold up your hand. So a few years ago, we had the professor, I don't know, I called him the pet professor of sheep. He worked at LSU, and I said, what is it that you do? I couldn't put my hands on it, and he goes, well, this, here's one thing I do. If you put 800 sheep in front of me, in the course of the day, I'm going to tell you which is the best one. How many people do what you do? I mean, it seems like a lot of job security right there. He traveled all over the country doing this. If you don't know sheep, they're really needy, fragile, over-domesticated animals. So if you don't lead them to grass, they will eat the grass they're standing on until it's gone and the roots are gone and they won't look anywhere else for food and they will starve. If you take them to a stream to drink and the water's moving too fast, they will get in and fall over. If, if danger approaches them and scares them, they don't run. They freeze and then fall over. If they end up on their back somehow, they can't right themselves. They just sit there with their legs out. True. Until somebody, the shepherd, comes along and puts them right. If, there's, if they're running toward a cliff and nobody turns them away from that, they will run off the cliff. They're really, really dumb. Dumb. Here's a 30-second video to prove my point. This young man's trying to get this sheep out of a trench it has fallen into. Sheep's helping a little bit. Oh, so happy. Let's go home. Let's go home. Let's go back into the ditch. <laughs> Wait for it. We got the slow-mo of that because it's just too good, right? Look at the boys. They're like, that's your sheep, man. Mine's not that dumb. Oh, I'm going to get over. No, I'm not. I'm going back in. Wow. Wow. So let's keep that in our mind as we read the first verse. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We're reading from the ESV this morning because it follows a more traditional reading of this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. This is one of the most personal psalms there is. The word my, I, and me is repeated at least twice in every verse. My, I, we. The Lord is my shepherd. David doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd like me. He says the Lord's my shepherd, and that immediately means that David is a sheep. I heard that. Uh, it's a sheep, which he understands exactly what that means. 
that he needs to be guided quite literally. But he doesn't, he doesn't, his, his declaration isn't one that says, oh, I need something. He says, I will have no need. I shall not want. Modern English translations don't use the word want because it, it feels different than a need, but that's what it means here. I'm not gonna, I'm, I'll lack nothing. I will have all my needs met if the Lord is my shepherd, which is staying a lot. I would, I would say this, we won't truly be satisfied in life and particularly in our relationship with God until we know him as the good shepherd who meets our needs and walk with us. And we can't get him out of order, right? He's the good shepherd and he eliminates our needs. So here's our first point in our outline. We need to trust the Lord with our every need. Every one of them. All of them. Most people will spend a lot of their life trying to meet the areas of lack in their life. I'm missing something here, and so I'm going to pursue it. Entire systems, religious systems, are built to eliminate want or need. It's very different than Christianity. Buddhism would say this. You don't need to have a want in your life or a need in your life. Just eliminate the desires you have. Minimize your desires until they become nothing and you reach nirvana. The problem with that is it's all on you. You must eliminate all your needs, which is not only all on you, but it's unrealistic because we're people with needs. One that's very common in our culture, in the American culture, is I'm going to substitute my deep longings and needs for things. So I will buy my way out of this neediness that I'm in, and I will purchase things and what we find out, of course, is that it never meets the need, the deep need that's within us. And yet we've all fallen prey to that, right? A new this will really satisfy the deep longing. The one that may be most troublesome to me today, and I think the students in the room maybe are dealing with it at a level that creates enormous amounts of anxiety, and that's a modern secular view, which is you need to find, meet all your needs yourself. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. Don't follow anybody. Follow yourself and meet your deepest needs. That is a heavy burden. It sounds like a lot of freedom, but it's not. Because if you have deep needs and you're wondering how to have them met and you only can look in yourself, then that's a pretty limit, limited supply of perspective and ideas. And I think that it can weigh people down. It can depress you. It can cause you to be extremely anxious. Because what if you pick a solution that's wrong and you have no one else to blame but you? The Christian response is really different. I have needs, many of them. Yet I have a good shepherd that I'm going to follow. And he will meet my needs and I will have no want. That's quite the statement. You see, David says, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I don't have wants. A lot of times people will come to Jesus and they want to reverse those. I'm going to get rid of all my wants and then I'm going to come to, to God. He's going to be an add-on. And David says, no, no, he is primary. And you can't, you can't get those, you can't get those out of order. And it's not a statement, he's not saying, um, I have no, but he, he's, he's, it's a statement of trust. It's a statement of trust. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. It's a statement of trust because he may have things that he longs for in his life, right? We all do. But he's saying, ultimately, I'm going to trust him to meet my longings, my deepest desires, and I'm going to trust him to do that, which is a tall, tall order. So the psalm doesn't ask the question, hey, what do you need to do? The psalm's question to us is, will you trust the shepherd? So this whole summer we've been in the psalms. We started with psalms of lament. They help us grieve loss, express anger and sorrow. We're horrible at it as a culture. Some of you loved the psalms of lament. You'd never, you've never considered them as a source of how to, how to be sorry about something and how to mourn. Others of you were so tired of them after like two weeks. Get us out of here. I leave church depressed. Be careful, they're really helpful. We went from psalms of lament to psalms of praise. After we've lamented and after we've mourned something, then we can praise. Then we went from praise um, to wisdom. <clears throat> how are we to live this life? And the last section are psalms of trust. This is a psalm of trust. Will I trust the shepherd? to lead me, to guide me, and to know my needs, and not only know my needs, but to meet them. How are you doing in trusting the shepherd? Is it easy, or are you in a season where it's difficult? Let's look at verses two and three. It moves to what the shepherd does. It also gives the, the basic day of a shepherd, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He takes the sheep out and feeds them. He leads me beside still waters, gives them something to drink. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The shepherd knows his sheep. He knows that they're anxious, that they're hungry. He knows what they need. He leads them beside green pastures. I don't know if you've looked at Google Earth or uh, maybe Google Maps of Palestine or Israel. Not a lot of green out there. So if you're gonna find green pastures, you gotta to have to know where they are and lead them there and give the sheep what they need. And quiet waters are those still waters. But don't, a lot of times we look at the pasture and you know the grass is always greener, we tend to focus on that. And I want you to realize that the focus here is the shepherd. How many of you think, and, I think we all think this at some point, right? We're coming out of this crazy two, past two years. I would say that everybody's anxiety level is up higher than it was two years ago. Everybody's level of discomfort and disorientation. And so you might say to yourself, you know what I need? I just need a few days in a green pasture. I just, I just that's just what I need. Or I like to say it this way. I just need a few days on some calm water. If it's in Colorado, that would be awesome. If it's in Montana, that would be better. Northern Arkansas will work, right? I just, I just need a moment. And we talk about that, the object of rest, and we miss the supplier of the rest. He's the one who leads the sheep to what they need. If the Lord knows what you need, nourishment, satisfaction, significance, then the issue becomes trusting his leading and listening to his leading. Jesus would call himself the good shepherd in John 10. 10, 11, here's what it says. I am the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That's the qualification. What makes the shepherd good? He's willing to die for the sheep, which is a tall order considering how unintelligent they are. I mean, would you give your life for that crazy sheep in the ditch? You might just go, just leave it there, right? It's, it's just going to jump back in. Jesus said, no, no, I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. A few verses later, he says this, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. What if, what if we could radically reduce our anxiety level simply by listening more intently to the shepherd and stopping when he says stop and go when he says go and we sub submit to him all of our decisions, all of our thoughts, all of the things that concern us. What if we prayed about every little thing and say, Lord, I need you to guide me. I need you to guide me through this. I think I need, I think I need. I was listening to a podcast this week about church leadership. And the, and the essence of it was many people lead, whether in church or out of church, out of areas of woundedness. They're trying to overcome some insecurity. And this speaker was given this great opportunity and he said this, looking back at it, I was too wounded to say no. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but what he was saying was, I didn't have enough self-confidence and self-awareness, self-knowledge to go, that's not for me. And I thought, what a beautiful statement. I was too wounded to say no. I've been there as a younger man wanting to take the hill and go, yes, yes, yes. Never going, Lord, what do I need? You know, is this an opportunity that I should really capitalize on? And are we, are we attentive enough to listen? And then in verse three, it says this, for he restores my soul. Oh, now that's deep rest. You can't even get that at the beach, right? We, we, we've all taken those, those days, those long weekends. I was asking some students in between the services, okay, how was the summer, right? You had big plans. Was it everything that you hoped it would be? Uh, the answer was about 80%. And when you spend the whole year trying to get to this one little week, man, the expectation is so huge. And what if you miss it? And you don't have a restored soul. Well, I've, got, I've got 51 weeks to figure out how to do it. I'm suggesting that it's very readily available for us who follow closely to the Lord. He restores my soul. He's going to lead me on the right path. He's led me out to get green pasture. He's led me to get water. He's given me nourishment and rest. Now he's going to lead me back. He's going to lead me in the right paths or paths of righteousness. Should I take this next step? Should I do this next thing? Should I develop and, and invest in this relationship? Is this right? Uh, you see, this is a very, uh, uh, we're very attentive to the sheep. They know my voice and I follow them. If you were to go watch shepherds in the Middle East today, they carry on their business very much like they did a long time ago. And what they'll do is they'll all come together at the end of the day, the shepherds will, and they will debrief the day. <laughs> I don't know what you do at the end of the day, except just guys talking probably. But here's what happens. All the sheep intermingle. You, you drive cattle, you lead sheep. And so after uh, an, an, a cup of coffee at night and a few stories of you'll never guess what happened today, 
the shepherds all leave the campsite and they go in opposite directions. And they each have a whistle or a song they sing. And the sheep naturally divide and they go with their shepherd. I wonder, it, it takes a little effort and time, doesn't it, to clearly hear the Lord so that at any given moment you could say, hey, is, is, this, is this a good decision? And as you read the word, as you're in community and you're talking to your friends about it, you go, oh, man, that would be good. That's, I think so. You get the counsel of the people of God. You're in the word of God. You listen to the spirit of God. And, and he guides us, often with those three elements. And when we know that we're loved and that he meets and knows our needs, now we're ready for the tough stuff. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're, you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The phrase, even though, is so helpful. It, it presumes tough days. I know they're going to be hard days. You're going to lead me, and they're going to be dark days. But you know what? You're with me, and so I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you in this process. If you're married here, some of our darkest days have revolve around, can revolve around our marriage. So I want to make a plea with you. If you've considered Created for Connection, which is this coming weekend, you can find all the information. Pete and Dee Adams sitting right over here. They do this retreat from marriage health. It's extremely good. If you go to our resources on our website under weekly, it's all there. They've been kind enough to offer a discount for the chapel family. But some of our darkest days can be in our marriage and we have no idea how to get out. What's our next step? Some of you have thought about it, but you won't take the next step and, and do it. No one can do it for you. And if this is the first time you're hearing of it, let me encourage you to consider it to consider it. It may seem insurmountable even to bring it up, <laughs> but let me encourage you to do that. Resources, weekly, created for connection. It's good stuff. It'll help you. We need to trust the shepherd even though, second point, trust the Lord in our darkest fears, or darkest fears. Peter was one of Jesus' original followers. He would die for Jesus. And then uh, he would also shepherd churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, because they were being persecuted. They were being called out just because they were followers of Jesus. They were being fed to wild animals. They were trinkets for sport. And he would write the community there. And he would say this in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In all of this, you greatly rejoice. Ooh, just that phrase. In all of this, we greatly rejoice. Though for a little while, you may have had to have suffered grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through, though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He's just saying, there's more going on here than meets the eye. Your little time might be your entire life for these people. Even though I walk through the, through the darkest valley, 
I'm not going to fear any evil because you're with me. You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Back to verse 24. The dark place that you're in, it may be that you need to call out to God, actually verbally call out to him and say, I need your protection. When Jesus was asked by his disciples to teach us to pray, the last phrase says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I need you to protect me. This is what happens when we get really scared and situations are really dark over a long period of time. We wanna take shortcuts, we wanna get out, we wanna be tempted, and we can be. And David says, it can be pitch black. It's okay, he's with me. His rod to protect, his staff to grab me and pull me away from evil. I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust in him. He's the good shepherd. He's the one who will lay down his life for me. I can trust him. That's what's going on here. And you have to follow even more closely. Do you not in darkness? You want to be right next to somebody. You want to be holding their hand, if you will, and walking with them. Dane Ortland, in his book, Lowly and Gently, describes God's uh, protection of us this way, like a father and a son playing in the coast of Carolina in the waves. What makes, a, what makes this a fun uh, adventure rather than a scary one is the son's going to grab onto dad's to dad's hands but that's not what's going to keep him safe is it because the waves can knock his grip loose what will keep him safe is the fact that dad is holding on to him and we need to know that the good shepherd is holding on to us when the days are difficult he's got me there's nothing that can separate me from the love of god that is in christ jesus paul would say Neither height nor depth, sickness, health, nothing. Jesus would say it this way in John 10. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. So if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you need to know that he's got you. He goes on to say, no one can snatch them out of my hand. I got them. My father who's given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of his hand. The father and I are one. So when the days are dark, we have to trust the goodness of the shepherd and the fact that he's got us and we might need to cry out to him. We might need to turn to him. Something happens in verse four that's important to notice. David quits talking about what the shepherd does and he starts talking to the shepherd. He doesn't just say, God does this. He says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, you are with me. You see the turn of phrase there? He, in the first three verses, this is what the shepherd does. Now he goes from talking about the shepherd to talking to the shepherd. And let me assure you that in your journey with Jesus, that's where he wants you to get. Not just talking about him, thinking about him and lofty ideas. He wants us to talk to him and plead our case with him and cry out our fears to him and be personal and intimate with him. That's what he wants. 
I just think it's so strong. Even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When does that change take place often in our life? When we're desperate, when it's darkest, when it's most difficult. We don't just talk about God, we talk to him. If you're in a dark place today, I want to encourage you to talk directly to him. Declare your trust to him and ask him for help. I need a light. I need to be able to see. Does this tunnel end? Is there a flicker in the dark? Help! Cry out to him. And then lastly, trust the Lord for all our days and our forever. The last two verses. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will sh shall um, follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a beautiful picture. There's a change in metaphor here. We go from shepherd to having a beautiful table set. I don't know if the skill still exists kind of setting tables at homes, but maybe you've been out to eat where it's just really nice and everything's clean and it's all there and there's food already waiting for you. Of course I want the bread. Don't ask that. Just have it waiting with the butter. I mean, come on, who says no? Not me, right? And yes, I want the water with the lemon. Yeah, fill it. And so here's this beautiful picture. You've prepared a table. And I'm not sure what it means. Scholars disagree, but one of the things that's clear, it's in the presence of his enemies. And so that means victory. That's, it means at least that much. And there's the anointing of my head because my skin is so dry. And there's the overflowing of my cup. It is just there. Victory. In the darkest times, you can begin to wonder is God still in control? Is he still victorious? In the toughest of battles, you can wonder, if I lose this battle, does the war also fail? And we have the promise that he's already victorious. Here's how Paul said it to the Colossian church. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins having canceled the charge of your legal indebtedness, which stood against us, condemned us, he includes himself. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He is victorious. I can, I can be at the table and there's no lack it's before my enemies, which is just an amazing picture that God is going to ultimately be, we will be victorious in Christ, ultimately, finally. There's refreshing, there's relaxing. And then it ends with the phrase, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Not some of them, all of them. And some current translations try to, try to give the full force of the word follow. It sounds like, you know, just somebody tagging along. 
just kind of behind you. It's more like pursuing or chasing you. Uh, our, um, our daughter Joanna has moved home and she brought with her her dog, Jay. Jay is, Jay is something else. We have two old girls. They're kind of like doormats. They sit and shed, they stand and shed, they walk and shed, and that's all they do. Jay, on the other hand, Jay, as Mary likes to say, has never had a bad day. He gets up and he's like, hey, hey, good morning. What's going on? Is it time to eat? Hey, where's my bone? And he's got a tail that just goes and destroys everything in its wake. And yesterday I was with Jay in a field and I had on a sombrero, dermatology approved. Don't laugh at me. It's about this big. Yeah, I'm that guy. I had on my sunglasses and I was walking and Jay came out. Jay's never met a stranger, but he didn't know me. So just a little tail wagging. Hey, Jay, a little more. Jay, still couldn't figure it out. I took the glass sunglasses off. Oh, hadn't moved an inch yet. And I took the hat off. He didn't wag his tail. He jumped, took off running and ran right into me. I'm like, hey, buddy, how are you? Goodness and mercy. That's the picture. I was talking to somebody in between the services. He said, I went to a camp growing up and they had two golden retrievers there named Goodness and Mercy. And they chased the kids all over camp. Yeah. How many days? All the days. So when we trust him that he's good, like a good shepherd that lays down his life, that he knows our need and he meets our need and that he's with us in the dark times and that the end is certain and lavish without lack or want. What about today? Not yesterday, not tomorrow. What about today? You need to know he is hounding after you with his goodness and his mercy. The other thing Jay does that is extremely irritating and a little intimate is he licks anything, including your face. And when there's any food anywhere in the house or maybe the neighborhood, these long drools start to develop as he looks at you. And if you say anything to him, like back up Jay, no Jay, stop it Jay, anything, he just comes by for a quick and a little slobber. And I just think, what if we understood that God is after us like that? Lovingly excited to see you every single day. That begins to change. Surely goodness and mercy are pursuing me. They're chasing me down. And then it ends with this great exultative, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the reason we want to read this at funerals is that's what we long for those that have gone on. But let's be clear. If we have no interest in God at all, we're not interested in his voice and we're not interested in following him, his goodness. He respects that. And while we might long to say this, this is a statement of somebody that trusts the Lord. 
not somebody that just incidentally would like to be in on the good things. But he's, he's, been, he's brought his needs to the Lord. He's trusted him to lead. He's restored his soul. He's walking in paths of righteousness. He's, he's in dark places and still trusting him. Not perfect, not a perfect person, but a trusting person. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We can get caught up in the green pastures. We can get caught up in the calm waters. We can get fearful of the deep valleys. But the focus of this and the culmination of this is none of those things. The destination is the house of the Lord, i.e. the Lord himself. He is the focus of all of it. And so that's where it ends. He is the destination. Jesus in John 10 would use two analogies all about sheep. One is that he is the sheep, the gate. And the other one is that he is the shepherd, the good shepherd. But this is what he says about the gate. Therefore, Jesus said again, he's talking to his disciples and the Pharisees about those that had led people astray. Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and out and find pasture. Jesus is the means and the end. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the gate that we must pass through in order to be under his good shepherd leading. So I don't know where you are today, what your next step is today, but maybe it is to bring your needs to him. Maybe it is to declare your fears to him and believing that he is there right there with you. Ask him to hold you tightly. Maybe you need, maybe you've begun to wonder, what does the end look like for my life? Would it give you more peace to know that there will be a banquet table set for you. It's lavish and there won't be any want. There'll be relaxing comfort and abundance. Maybe it's to remember that today, this day, God is hounding after you. He wants to lavish you with his goodness and his tender mercies. Maybe you're, you're dealing with something that might be terminal, and you think, what's next? Trust the Lord and know that he desires to dwell with you forever. Right? Enter through the gate of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Father God, we have many, many needs. We thank you for this psalm that is just so deeply personal, so deeply private. May it become so for us. Again, I pray, those, pray for those with needs they wonder how will they be met? Would you meet them, Lord? For fears, I pray that you would calm their fears with the truth that as they follow you, you're right there with them. May they cry out to you. Lord, I pray for those that are just really upside down in their marriage, that they would take the courage to seek help, to bring light in to places that have been pretty dark. Lord, I pray for those that wonder what's next, that they would have confidence that you are their front and rear guard. 
Lord, I pray for those that today, for all of us really, Lord, that we would know your goodness and mercy are right after us, like a happy puppy, like a good, faithful dog, but more so like a loving, sacrificial father. And Father, I pray for those that need to bow the knee of their heart today and trust you as their Lord and Savior. If that is you, I would pray that you do it today, not put it off. Bow the knee of your heart and say to the Lord, today I'm trusting that you are the way to heaven. You are the gate into the presence of the living God. And so all I know about me, I entrust to all I know about you. I believe that your death on the cross was for me and that you rose from the dead to give me life, that you will welcome me into your forever family, that you will forgive me, and that you have created a victorious life for me. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.